0: Good morning once again. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for everybody who tuned in online. If you are a guest with us this morning, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and it it is a great pleasure and honor to worship with you this morning. Uh, A few announcements as we get going. Um, You guys have seen it. There's an email that goes out every week to RSVP to just let us know you're coming, let us know you're going to be here. Um, So uh, please, uh, if you could take a minute, Throughout the week when we send that out, we usually send it Wednesday or Thursday. Please take a second, respond to that so we have an idea of who's gonna be around, who's not. Um, But if you do wake up on a Sunday morning and you decide, "Ah, I forgot to RSVP, come, we'll make room, we'll find room for you in a socially distant, appropriate way. Uh, We still have our community groups up and running. Our community groups are all meeting uh, in person, except for the online group, which was always meeting online. Uh, So we have a women's group on Monday evenings. We have our online group on Wednesdays. We have another group on Thursday evenings, and then Saturday mornings as well. All of them are here in the church building. You can find that information on our church website. We'd love for you to come and connect. They are community groups. They are about fellowship and connecting together, studying together, praying together, building one another up. Uh, So we'd love for you to connect in those ways. If you'd like to give this morning, if you're here in the building, you can give. We have an offering plate set up in the back. You can do so. Uh, If you're online, you can give online at churchinroscovillage.org. And that's got all the information where you can give online or you can set up uh, the church as a bill pay. Whatever's most comfortable, easiest for you. We have all that information on our website. We also have our Tuesday night prayer group that goes on via Zoom uh, where we spend some time just... Praying and just kind of starting our week, trying to, you know, after we get through Monday, we we start our week going into prayer and scripture. And then we end the week on Fridays with a video online as well of prayer and scripture, walking through Proverbs. Um, Both of those led by Ty, one of our uh, students from Moody, who's serving and loving our church well and intentionally through that. I'd love for you to jump on Tuesday nights uh, at 7 o'clock. Uh, And then this Saturday, the 24th, is gonna be Clean and Green Day in Roscoe Village. So we do this every year where we meet up with friends, family, brothers and sisters, neighbors from around the neighborhood, and we uh, pull weeds, pick up garbage, Uh, sweep up sidewalks, just generally spend some time beautifying our neighborhood. And so that's this Saturday uh, at 9 a.m. we're going to be meeting uh, just in front of Commonwealth Tavern right here at Roscoe and Damon. So if you want to come, you can park here at the church and then you can go over to Commonwealth. We'll be there at 9 and then we'll spread out. Some of us will go in different directions and just spend some time uh, loving, tangibly loving and caring for our community. So that gets put on by our friends at the Roscoe Village Neighbors Association. We'd love for you to come out and help out uh, so that we can uh, just love Roscoe Village in a real tangible way. So um, that is it for our announcements. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 is where we will be this morning. And as you turn in there, I would like to thank um, Ray, who spends his uh, multiple days during the week here alone cleaning. Rain, sleet, snow, shine. He's more consistent than the postman. He will be here cleaning and caring for this building um, after... We make a mess of it, he comes and and makes it clean and beautiful and and does a great job every week uh, and very intentional to make sure that this church is a place that is welcoming and homey and he takes great pride in that and does a great job. So Ray, thank you for all that you do for us. Um, So this morning we are continuing our series looking at the Lord's Prayer and we're doing this as a way of strengthening our prayer life um, through the practice of being in prayer as well as being being Uh, consistent and intentional with the words that we choose, the words that we use in prayer, considering what we say, because praying is good, praying is important, but how you pray matters, meaning the heart and the way that you approach it matters. See, it's not about having a spiritual vocabulary or big fancy words or anything of that nature. It's about your heart. I was once part of a group of people at a church I was attending where we got together once a week to pray together. And we'd pray, uh, we'd start the morning, we'd pray together. Everybody would be praying out loud at the same time. And we'd kind of break off and, and kind of pray individually. Um, and then we'd kind of come back together and pray and lead into prayer and in certain things. And oftentimes what I would do was I would bring my notebook with me and I would journal prayers as we kind of broke off an individual time. I I'd, I'd journal prayers, it's a habit, it's something I know I've talked about here. It's a habit I, I was once into, I'm, I'm trying to get myself restarted in it. It's good, it's healthy, it's helpful to be able to kind of articulate your your prayers in on paper and then even just to have that to see um, what God does, to go back and look and see how God answers prayers or see how maybe there were prayers that you thought were real important and then you kind of let them slide and you see that prayer and go, oh, you know what? I wanna keep praying that because I didn't get an answer. Um, So anyway, journaling prayers, super helpful. So I would do that when we would pray together in the mornings, Um, and at one point, one of the church leaders who was part of that prayer group told me that if I wanted to grow as a leader, that I needed to become more fervent in prayer, that I needed to have more zeal, more uh, emphasis, energy in my prayer, and he cited me journaling prayers as not being fervent enough in prayer. I didn't think then, nor do I think now, that that was helpful or even really biblical. Um, You can pray just as fervently and intensely with a pen and paper as you can with the words of your mouth. There is not a specific way to pray in posture or style. You have heard me say it already here this morning, and you will continue to hear me say it as we go through this series. It is about intentionality. It is about the way your heart is attuned to God in your prayer life. So today we're going to look at Luke 11. And last week we looked at this at the account of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. This week we're going to do Luke 11, just so we have a little bit of variety for us. Um, both accounts are quite similar in the content of the prayer, but the circumstances of where these prayers come from are different in the two accounts. Here in Luke's Gospel, Jesus was praying, and when he finished praying, one of the disciples let's be honest, he's not named, but it's a random, awkward conversation with Jesus, so it's probably Peter, speaks to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. Now, we don't know what or how John taught his disciples, but obviously something about the way John prayed and the way Jesus prayed was different. Because the disciples were Jewish men. They had been praying to God multiple times a day, every day, for their entire lives. These guys knew how to pray. They knew this was not a new concept for them. This was not a new thing that they had never seen happen before. So, them asking to be taught to pray is not about their own prayer lives so much as I think it's more has to do with Jesus' prayer life. What he said how often he committed himself to it, how important prayer was for him. We talked last week about how Jesus would remove himself from the crowds. Before a big decision, he would spend the night in prayer. Over and over again, we see Jesus isolating himself to be in prayer to the Father. What he said, how often he did it, how important it was to him, the discipline and power of the prayers of Jesus observed by his followers convinced them that while they knew how to pray, They realized that this Jesus was clearly varsity and they were barely JV. You wanna grow in any kind of skill or ability, how do you do it? You find someone who is skilled in it and you ask questions and you learn from them. If prayer is something you want to grow in and if you are a Christian, regardless of how strong of a prayer life you might have, you should want to grow in knowing God deeper and deeper. If you want to grow in your prayer life, Find people who you know have a strong prayer life. Ask them questions. Have them teach you and show you and walk into the presence of God along with you. Jesus does this for his disciples, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer. So it's our plan throughout this series to walk through this prayer slowly and learn from it and consider what it is that we are praying when we say this prayer that for many of us we can recite without really thinking. So last week we talked about our Father. We talked about the intimacy, the the safety, the power associated with those words. This week, we're going to continue on, and we're going to consider the the majesty, the magnitude, the awesome, holy, wondrous glory of God. I'm so excited for this morning. Um, Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Luke 11. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to gather together, to celebrate you, to be in your presence. God, we come to you this morning, and many of us are tired, and sad, and heartbroken. And Lord, once again, we come to you in the midst of our city, this city that we love and this city that you love, in turmoil and conflict and pain. God, we weep and we grieve, and our hearts are broken as we watch the and see the evil throughout the world, the the injustice throughout our city, the pain and suffering throughout our city. God, help us to be lights of justice, of peace, of your glory and your goodness in the way that we live. And Lord, the only way we know that that can happen is if you fill us up, if we are intentional to seek after you, to rest in your presence, to dwell in you, to experience you and enjoy you and rejoice in you so that we might be a beacon of light and hope in this dark world. God, we thank you for the community that you have given to us, this great gift you have given to us that makes it so that we don't have to do this life on our own, that Christianity does not have to be an individualistic thing, but rather a team sport, this place where we can come and find rest and encouragement and challenge. God, we know community is not always clean and easy and nice. And sometimes it's hard. And Lord, we thank you for that because it helps to shape us and challenge us and help us to live out this grace and mercy we cling to so tightly that we have received from the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. God, we thank you for the way that your word guides us and reveals to us who you are. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that as we open your word, that we are encouraged, that we are challenged, that we are edified, that we are able to be the kind of people who hear your word and respond to it. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So Luke 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So he starts, Father. He said in Matthew's account, it's our Father in heaven. The opening address, and we talked about the power, the intimacy, the safety, the identity that in that day, the, the father of the family gave identity to his children, identity to his family. And so we, as the children of God, find our identity in God. And we talked about God as the creator of all things, the creator of all of existence. And so in that way, he is the father of all things. He is in a set-apart place in Matthew as I said it's our father in heaven he is in a set apart place he is in heaven which is set apart and this idea of being set apart is kind of our theme for this morning we're going to break down in a minute we're going to pick up more on heaven next week as we continue on but after the address father before anything else Before petition, before confession, the thing that drives our engagement with God, whether we see this prayer as a script to follow or just kind of loose guidelines for us to help us in cultivating our own prayers, Jesus makes it clear that before anything else, we are to spend time in adoration of God, spend time celebrating, spend time praising, worshiping, enjoying God. The Lord's prayer is not an incantation. It is not a way to manipulate God into hearing your prayers. It is not, okay, as long as I put the puzzle pieces in the right way, then God has to hear my prayers. God has to answer my prayers. That's not it at all. Our adoration and worship of God should be the default starting point of the heart of the Christian, and it is from that point that everything else in our lives flows out. We can confess we can petition, we can thank, we can live and breathe out of an overflow of the abundance of adoration that should be pouring out from within us. Because we know that what we have been saved from and we know what we have been saved to. Because we know the grace and mercy and love shown by God through Jesus's death and resurrection, we can Adore him. We should adore him. Adoration, worship of God, should be the base for every other part of our lives. Everything else should flow from that. And a lack of that is what leads us into sin. A lack of adoration, a lack of worship, a lack of enjoyment of God, a lack of understanding the goodness of God is what leads us towards sin. So we are made to hallow. Everyone. Hallows. The question is what or how do you hallow? So let's talk about this word that nobody uses anymore. What does it mean to hallow? Father, hallowed be your name. It is an old word that we don't use anymore, but there's not really a good one-word replacement for it. It's kind of like cowabunga. It's awesome, but there's not really, it's outdated, there's not really another good word to replace it. Hallowed means something is important. What do we do with important things? We celebrate them. We lift them up. We worship them. That's why I say we are all made to hallow because we all, and we all hallow because we are made to worship. We all worship. Whether or not you are a Christian, you worship. It's just a question of what is the object of your worship? What is the thing or person or idea that is for you the highest, most important in your life? What Jesus in Matthew 6 is talking in in the midst of the Sermon on the Mountain, he tells them before he gets into the Lord's Prayer, and he says, do not be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners in the synagogues, but pray in secret where your Father is in secret. What he's saying is that place where nobody else is paying attention, where nobody else is looking, where it's just you and God, those prayers that come out, those are the things that are most important to you. Those are the things, that's where you reveal who your true character is, right? When nobody else is watching, when no one else is paying attention. That's when your true self comes out. So what is it that you worship? Hallowed means set apart, holy, to sanctify. Literally, that's how it gets translated as that word sanctify. Sanctification is one of those church words that gets used a whole lot, but we don't always take time to talk about what it means. Sanctification is the process of being made more and more like Jesus. When you become a Christian, that's salvation. You put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And at that moment, you receive not only the righteousness of Jesus, but also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Christ, you, Christian, have full and complete access to the same Holy Spirit that was there when creation happened, that embodied and indwelled and moved and guided and led the men and women of the Bible at various points. The same Holy Spirit that moved and guided and led Jesus himself while on earth. You have that same Holy Spirit in you. And one of his roles is to convict us of sin and to lead us in repentance of that sin, to turn away from it. He is also cultivating in us what is known as the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not an exhaustive list, but as much of what God is calling us to what the Holy Spirit is cultivating in us and as we grow in these things in the repenting of our sin and in growing in these fruits of the Spirit we are slowly being made more and more like Jesus we won't reach full complete sanctification till we actually meet him face to face but we are in that process here and now and for anyone who has walked with God for any extended amount of time you know it is a messy slow process because we still wrestle with our sin nature But it is something that is happening in the Christian today. We are sanctified through and by our faith in Jesus and by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. To sanctify is to make something holy. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying, Lord, make your name set apart and important in me. Lord, make your name set apart and holy and important in me and in us and in this world Use me for that purpose. Use your church for that purpose. Do it yourself, God, because you know I'm going to fail. But just do it. Make your name known through the world. Make the holiness known through all the world. And also, this same prayer, this same phrase, hallowed be your name, is also part declaration. Because, God, your name is hallowed. Your name is holy. It is set apart. It is beautiful and important. With or without us declaring that to be the reality, it is the reality. Because God is holy. So it is part request. Lord, make your name important and holy and set apart in my life, but also part declaration. God, your name already is holy and set apart and sanctified. I, uh, when I came to this church um, five and a half-ish years ago, uh, I inherited a lot of things from my predecessor, Pastor Sergei Marchenko. This church is a strong community. It's a, st- a place that welcomes people it gives people rest. It is a strong community of believers. I inherited a great elder board, men who love the gospel and love the people of this church and want to see the people of this church grow and thrive and want to see the gospel proclaimed. I inherited a, uh, a community of people who have a deep appreciation for the word of God. Another thing I inherited is that on the window, on one of the windows uh, in my study, one of the windows that looks out on Damon, It says the words, let the word do the work. The full phrase usually that gets used there is let God's word do God's work. It's a frequent reminder to preachers, get out of God's way. Let God's word do God's work. You just get out of the way. That's what I want to do today. I want to get out of the way. So as we talk about the holiness and the majesty and the greatness of our God, What I want to do is let God's word do God's work. I want him to convince us and convict us and call call us to himself. So I'm going to spend a few minutes. I'm just going to read some passages of scripture. The, The references will be on the screen behind me. You can jot them down. If you're looking for something to study this week, you can go sit in these passages. And I'll give you a little bit of context for some of them. But really what I want you to do is I just want you to hear God's word and let it wash over you and speak to you and do what it was made to do. Okay, so that's what we're going to do for a little bit. Starting in Job, the book of Job, some of you if you grew up in church, you have some recollection of Job, right? Job, there's this contest between God and Satan. Satan approaches God and, and basically they have this contest where uh, Satan's trying to get Job to deny God, to, to walk away from God and God says you're not going to be able to, you can't kill him but you can do anything you want to him. Job loses everything he suffers, his family dies, He loses. he gets pain it's a mess. His friends are telling him why don't you just give up and why don't you just curse God and, and walk away? And, and over and over and over time, Job eventually says, man, I, I just want to know what is happening. What, I want to put God on the stand is basically his idea. I want to I have this conversation with God and understand what it is that he is doing here. And throughout all the first half of Job, God is silent. And then finally in Job 38, God finally speaks to Job. And in Job 38, he says this, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or, what were it? or what where its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who shut the sea and the doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band? And prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall you your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all of this. Exodus 15, Exodus 14 ends with the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, right? God sends Moses, go get my people out of Uh, Egypt, go get my people out of slavery, we have the ten plagues. They go across, they get to the Red Sea, they're being chased by Pharaoh's army. God splits the sea, they cross on dry land, they get to the other side, and Moses breaks out in song. In Exodus 15, he sings, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. So you keep reading throughout the Old Testament and you get to Leviticus, that book that we all kind of skip when we're doing the read the Bible in a year thing. Leviticus is all about the sacrificial system, the law, and, and how to worship, how to engage with God. And all of it really points back to God and points back to his holiness. Leviticus 11.45 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore. Sanctify, set yourself apart, therefore. And be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In First Chronicles 29, it says in verse Chronicles twenty-nine ten. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are the power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. If we're going to talk about the majesty and glory and wonder of God, eventually you will find your way back to the Psalms. Psalm 93 says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Psalm 96, O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. of the peoples ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth Rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. One more from Psalm, Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should not be, never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not cover the earth. And just in case you think this is just an Old Testament idea, Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus, is that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, and through him to reconcile himself all, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. One more for you, 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We could do this all day. We could just keep reading passages of the majesty and glory and goodness of God. And I hope for some of you hearing these passages sparked in you reminders of other verses and passages that declare the glory of God, and I I, I encourage you to just sit in those this week. One more passage as we talk about hallowing the name of God. One more passage, one that comes to my mind and and I I came back to this week in preparing was Exodus 20 where God is giving the Ten the, uh, Ten Commandments. He says in Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. See, early on, as Israel is just starting to become a nation, just starting to become a people, the people of God, early on, God's teaching them and telling them, look, my name, who I am, is something different, something other, something set apart. We tend to read these verses, specifically verse 7, that do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And we think about, right, don't say any swear words that have Jesus or God tied to them. Right, we don't use those bad words. You stub your toe on the coffee table and something slips out. You Get into an accident at an intersection. Some words start bouncing around your head. Those are the obvious abuses of God's name, of God's holy name, and taking it in vain. What about when we consider, though, the racism, the sexism, the wars, the abuses, the murders that have been committed and continue to be committed, quote, in the name of the Lord? See, that is the complete opposite of taking the name of the Lord, of not taking the name of the Lord in vain. It is anything but hallowing his name. Or how about when we decide and and we justify our actions by deciding, well, God wants me to do this. Even though, really, it's just about us following our own selfish hearts and desires and we cherry-pick a few verses out of context to justify something that we already were going to do and we just want God to be okay with it. God really wants me to date this person. God really wants me to take that job. God really wants me to move there. Right? I mean, Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. See, God wants to prosper me, so whatever I want to do, it's going to prosper me. I'm going to go do it. God told me it's okay. Maybe he does want you to do that. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's just what you want. And by saying God wants me to do it, or God told me to do it, really what you're doing in one swift motion is you make yourself look more holy to your Christian friends And at the same time, you are slowly trying to convince yourself that you aren't just doing whatever it is you want to do, regardless of what God actually wants from you. See, again, it comes back to intentionality. What's your intent? What's your heart? Because sometimes I think we treat God's name like a band-aid given to a toddler that doesn't really need it, right? It fixes everything. And make no mistake, God's name will, in fact, fix everything one day. That day is coming. But just because we invoke the name of God into our selfishness doesn't make it less selfish. You will still have to give account and answer for those things. That end of that Exodus passage in in the Ten Commandments. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So how do we hallow the name of God? Better yet, what name of God do we hallow? Is it Yahweh? that name so sacred that they didn't use it, they didn't want to say it, right? When Moses approaches the burning bush and God tells him to go and tell Pharaoh, let God's people go, go tell the Israelites that God is going to free them from slavery. And Moses says, who do I tell them has sent me? They're going to want a name. And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That name that he uses, I am who I am, I will be what I will be, that's a confusing thing for Moses to say. So he says, God tells him, say I am has sent you. In Hebrew grammar, uh, originally it had no vowels. It's just consonants. The vowel markers got added on later on. And so when you're reading Hebrew, context is key. But there's four letters, really three letters, one of them's repeated, that make up this word Yahweh. It's the personal covenant name of God. It appears over 6,000 times in the Old Testament. It's the most used name of God. And we read that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And for us in the 21st century, the way our brains work is that we ask questions and we make excuses and we get, try and get, well, how close to taking the name of God in vain can I get before I've actually crossed the line? But when God's people heard that commandment from God, they decided we don't want to be anywhere near vain, so what we're going to do is we're never going to audibly say the name of God. Even when it's in the scriptures and we're reading it out loud, we're just not going to say that name. Instead, what they did is when Yahweh would show up in the Bible, in scriptures, they would say Adonai or Adon, which is Lord. And to help with this practice of saying Adonai, what eventually scribes, as they copied the Bible, they started adding in the vowel markers for the word Adonai. And it really doesn't make sense. It's the consonants of the word Yahweh. It's the vowels of the word Adonai. And these two things don't make sense. And it's a visual cue for the Jewish reader that says, don't say this word, say Adonai instead. Eventually it becomes uh, Jehovah because people didn't understand that connection, and Jehovah just becomes this made-up word. Um, But this word, Yahweh, it is the relational covenant name of God. It is intimate. It is important. And so we ask, is that the name that we are to hallow? What about in Genesis 1, when we see in the beginning God, and that word God is Elohim, the creator name of God. When God is creating something out of nothingness, is Elohim the name we are to hallow? In Genesis 22:14, 14, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Should we hallow that name? Judges 6, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Exodus 17, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, or the Lord is my refuge. Exodus 15, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Genesis 12, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Matthew 1, Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 1, Jesus the Savior. What is the name of God that we are to hallow? He's got a bunch All of them is the answer. All of who God is, is set apart, is holy, is beautiful, is sacred, is sanctified, is to be hallowed. It is where he is in heaven and it is who he is. He is set apart. He is holy. He is sanctified. He is to be praised. And when we realize this, it should lead us to acknowledge him and his glory. Lead us into adoration, into celebration, into captivation of his awesomeness. To be engrossed in the adoration, in the hallowing of God. That's the place we should be from the jump. That's the starting point of every one of our interactions with God and with this world, is adoration of Him. It should produce in us a humility and an awe of God. A humility to understand who we are in relation to who God is. Those two things are nowhere near each other. Because by nature we are default, by nature and default, we are enemies and rebels against God. We are objects of his wrath. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are created, temporary, finite beings. He is the eternal, uncreated, everlasting creator and sustainer of all existence for all time. He is perfect, righteous, just, holy, loving, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, gracious, and merciful. He is not only these things but he is the standard of these things. He is the creator of these things. When you think of someone being merciful, ultimately you have to compare them to the ultimate perfect mercy of God. He is eternally all of these things. They are not learned for him. He did not just develop them over time. He has always been and will always be these things. That reality should keep us humble. Because God is big and massive and majestic. We can develop peanut allergies and have trouble waiting for two minutes for our pizza rolls to cool. We are very different. When we begin to think of how great we are, how impressive we are, how talented we are, we begin to lose sight of the splendor of God. We begin to trust in and of ourselves rather than him, which then leads us to need him because we will fall and fail and sin. And it's in those times, in those valleys, when we cry out, God, we need you. When we are drowning, like Peter, who takes his eyes off Jesus, and he is drowning amongst the storms, and we cry out, God, we need you. It's there that we call on the name of God, and he will always be his big, impressive, heavenly father self. Because he does not fail. He does not fall. He does not miss the mark. He is there every time, all the time, because in all things, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and in control of all things at all times. Brothers and sisters, be humble. Stay humble. And when we think of the adoration and when we are consumed with the adoring of God in his holy name, it should drive us to just be in awe of him. That God, that one that, you, that we read all these passages about, that one who shows up on earth, the one who comes to earth to die on the cross for us, that God wants a relationship with you and with me. He wants to engage with us. He wants us to pray so that we might experience more and more of him. Prayer is for our benefit and our good. That God sent his son to die for us. That God entered humanity and that God came to us because he knew that we were in trouble without him. And so Jesus comes to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins in our place. That God revealed himself to us in Jesus fully and completely. He gives us his word to reveal himself to us daily. That God routinely says to us, hey, I want to spend time with you because you're important to me. He wants a relationship with you not an abstract idealized version of you not a hey I gotta clean myself up and then I can have a relationship with God you don't need to be burdened by that idea that if I can just be good enough if I can be smart enough if I can be holy enough if I can just do enough then God's gonna like me no he wants you right now as you are Come to the Father as you are. Come to him and celebrate and adore and rejoice in him because he is worthy, worthy, worthy to be rejoiced in. He is worthy to be celebrated. He is worthy to be engaged with. He is worthy of our adoration. He wants us to come to him. Oh, that we would come to him this morning. That we would call on his hallowed name this morning. And then as we live and we work and we engage with this world, we would hallow the name of God with our lives. It would be an outpouring of how we interact with this world. May we set apart his name, make much of his name, sanctify his name and be sanctified by it ourselves. And in living into that sanctification, pursuing growing, in these fruits of the Spirit, the pursuit of growing in our faith, being made more and more like Jesus, we would in turn point others, call others, show others the glorious, awesome, beautiful, hallowed name of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, never let us lose sight of how good and awesome and big you are. God, you know God, you know how tired I have been and you know how much I have struggled. And to give me a, a week where I get to just sit in, in your word and you reminded me over and over again this week just how good you are, how big and awesome you are, and that you are for me and not against me, oh God. Even in that, even in getting into just prep this sermon, Lord, it was, it was you showing your graciousness, you calling yourself to me. Because you're the personal God who reveals himself, who reaches out, who pays attention. You did not make this thing and then walk away. No, you are intimately involved in our lives. God, let us never lose sight. Let us never forget or minimize just how big and awesome and impressive you are. That you speak and there was nothing, and then there was creation. You are the one who makes all things move, that keeps all things going. You do hold the whole world in your hands. And while that could be a terrifying thing, it, it's not because you're good, and you're just, and you're loving. You know what is best, and you want what is best for us, and you want to be in relationship with us, and God, that is a mind-boggling reality that we cannot truly, fully comprehend. But if you're offering that grace, Lord, I want to run to it. You're offering yourself, God, we want to be people who know you deeper and deeper still, who are never content with how much we know you, who know that there is always more of you to know. God, give us that hunger and thirst. Give us that desire. Give us that longing in our very souls to know you deeper. Lord, as we celebrate you, as we get wrapped up in your glory and we adore you, let that flow out into the way that we are friends, that we are family, that we are students, that we are workers, that we are neighbors. Let that flow out in every interaction and in every thought and every action that we have. Let that be the thing that drives us so that others might be pointed to you, so that others might come to know the glory and goodness of who you are, that others might come to know that there is grace to be had and mercy to be had and love and joy to be had and rest to be had in the person and work of Jesus. God, you call us the lights of the world. Lord, help us to live out being those lights, to shine brightly, to point others toward you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.